0: We are in the third Sunday of Advent. We've been in this season, this deep and rich season of waiting and longing. We've been asking ourselves, what does it look like for us to be the kind of people who have been marked by hope and with peace and this morning with joy? This is the Sunday where we get a little bit of a sneak peek into nine days' time whenever we're able to celebrate the coming of Jesus. This is the moment whenever we can start to party a little bit if you're up for that, right? No. Cool. All right. Anyway, um, let's talk about joy. Joy is a pretty difficult thing to define, pretty difficult thing to nail down. And a good place to start is by describing what joy isn't. And joy isn't happiness. Those are two very different things. I want you to think about your happy place. The place where you're most happy. Maybe sitting, watching matches of the day. Maybe sitting on the terraces, screaming out whenever your team's playing. It may be date night with your spouse. Think about your happy place. and Just share it with the person who's next to you. What is your happy place? Go for it. All right, hopefully you had a chance to be able to share. I'm not going to ask. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass any of you. Um, with the thing you've just said to the person who's sitting beside you, your happy place, I want you to think about the steps that it takes before that so you then get to your happy place, right? Maybe tidying up the house, maybe bringing that stuff in, and maybe going to that particular place. It might be, Um, speaking to that person or avoiding that person, whatever. There are steps that it takes for us to get to our happy place, things that need to happen for us to get there. And there's always a danger, isn't there, that actually something will come along or somebody will come along that will undermine what is happening with our happy place, right? There's always that risk that our happiness can be kind of stopped or changed. Let me explain it like this. Um, My happy time is... Christmas, I flip and love Christmas, all right? I absolutely love it. Um, the Bothwells have a Christmas tradition that every year we go to the cinema and we watch a Christmas movie. And it's gonna happen this Tuesday night. So my parents, um, myself and Emma, and my brother and sister, we go and we watch a Christmas movie. It's kinda like my happy place, right? A couple of years ago, um, I wasn't really feeling in the Christmas mood, and then parents said, hey, we're gonna to go to the QFT and we're gonna watch It's a Wonderful Life, the greatest Christmas movie ever, It's not Elf, it's a wonderful life, right? So I'm thinking, this is amazing. This is going to be the steps It's going to take me to my happy place. I'm going to be there, I'm going to be able to be in the KFT, amazing movie, with family, going to be in the Christmas spirit, this is going to be amazing. So we rock up, we sit down in those really comfy middle class seats that they've got in the QFT. I'm resting in there, and then the lights come down and the movie starts. Before I, get, before I get to take a seat, I say Merry Christmas to the two women that are sitting beside me. Sit down. I'm so excited, ready to go. And as the lights dim, I hear two cans open up immediately. And so I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Turn around, and it's two pre-made cans of G&T. I'm like, all right, that's cool. You guys are doing you. That's totally fine. I'm here. I'm in my happy place. Going to watch This Wonderful Life. It's going to be amazing. Five minutes later, open, I just hear two more cans open up beside me, and it's no longer G&T, it's now WKD. And so they're all doing that. And again, I'm like, I'm having place, KFT, lifestyle family, great, Christmas for it, just you guys do whatever you want to do. It was amazing. Then the burping started. <laughs> and whenever I say Burping. It was like this incessant wave that just came across me, and then Emma, my mum, my dad, and my brother, and my sister in law. It was just relentless the whole time, robbing me of my happiness. I was not particularly happy that day. Happiness is determined by what goes on around us, it is dependent upon the factors that we find ourselves in. We all want to be happy, right? That's a desire that we all have. But to be happy, we feel this constant pressure and desire to set the conditions right so that we can then go and be happy. To do that thing, to be with that person, to avoid that person, to purchase that thing or whatever. This unending pursuit of happiness just keeps going and going and going. Happiness is determined by horizontal factors all of the time. But joy is different. Joy is so much deeper than that. It's so much more robust than happiness. It's a vertical reality that transcends all circumstances and all conditions. It is so much deeper than happiness. Last week we talked about the seasons of life that we can find ourselves in. And we find the consistency of Jesus' presence in every single season of life. Joy is exactly the same. We could be loving life in the summer, or we could be in the depths of winter, and yet regardless of whatever season we find ourselves in, we can still be joyful. We can be in grief, we can find ourselves in sickness, there could be sadness around us, yet we are still able to experience joy. It is not dependent upon the circumstances around us. So, what is joy? I love this definition from Father Ronald Rollheiser. It's going to appear on the screen. It says this, What is joy? Joy can never be induced, cranked up, or made to happen. It's something that has to find us precisely within our ordinary, duty-bound, burdened, full of worries, and pressurized lives. This is joy. Imagine walking to your car or to the bus after a day's work, tired and needing some rest. But just as you reach your car or the bus stop, you fill with a sense of life and health. In some way, it is all jumbled together, but you feel your body, your mind, your soul, your gender, history, place within a family, network of friends, city and country, basically everything about you. And this feeling makes you spontaneously exclaim, God, it is good to be alive. That is joy. Joy is not about pleasure. It is not simply a sensation, but it is a constant state of health, and of well-being. Hope in God's goodness is the support of joy. Joy is a grace that, as we read about in our Advent devotional yesterday from Psalm 30, it's a grace that is clothed upon us by the Father. He clothes us with joy by his Holy Spirit. He allows joy to take root in our lives. Joy is a deep sense of security and satisfaction and steadfastness about who we are and the life that we are living. It is unshakable. You can't shake it with the circumstances around us. And while joy is something that we receive, it is also something that we can't simply be passive about. We can't just kind of hang out waiting for the next hit of joy. We need to cultivate this fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Some of you have heard me speak about this before. Jamie, do you want if i go on to the diagram? The shape of our lives as we follow Jesus looks a little bit like this complicated diagram. Our lives are made up of two movements of power and and practice, of presence and pattern. We are to live in this particular kind of way. Through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So often in our lives, in the lives of the people around us, in the life of the city and the region that we find ourselves in, the Holy Spirit breaks through, his kingdom comes. Despite whatever season we find ourselves in, joy is able to cut through the season that we find ourselves in through his power and through his presence. And yet, we are to be the kind of people who join in on the work of the Holy Spirit, who walk in step with him, as the New Testament says, to join him in what he is already doing. And so as he has broken in with joy, we are to live in that particular pattern of life, that particular way. We are to practice the way of joy. We are to choose to live with him. Life with Jesus is all about power and pattern. It is all about presence and practice. We aren't just to sit and wait for the next hit of joy as the Holy Spirit births it and cultivates it and grows it in our lives. We are to join him in what he is doing. So the question this morning is how can we choose joy? How can we live more fully into the way of joy? And I want to use the teaching text that Laura read earlier from the chapter 2. Um, The story of the shepherds and the angelic visitation. Um, If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, just to use it as a little bit of a guide, it's page 712 in the Bibles that are sitting in front of you. On the night that Jesus was born, it all took place in a really humble scene. Jesus was swaddled and he was placed in an animal feeding trough. It was a pretty basic scene and yet the inhabitants of heaven simply couldn't contain themselves. The angels appeared to the shepherds that night to bring good news of great joy to all of the people. This would have been an incredible sight. The shepherds probably sitting by a fire, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then out of nowhere, an angel shows up. And the glory of the Lord just bursts through the sky. You'll notice a theme has cropped up throughout each Sunday of Advent. God shows up in startling and in unexpected ways. Luke chapter two, verse 10 says this. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Everyone was waiting for the arrival of Emmanuel, waiting for the promised Messiah. And these poor shepherds got to hear the word first. Talk about grace, right? The one that they'd been waiting for had arrived. This is amazing news of great joy. And then out of nowhere, a great multitude of the heavenly hosts just appeared. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to whom his favor rests. Lower Cave puts it like this. Heaven quite literally lost itself in that moment lost itself in joyful celebration. It seems that heaven's joyful roar cannot help but spill over to the inhabitants of the earth on the night of Jesus' birth. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about that moment? That scene. Take like Nativity Plays out of your head if you've been watching that this week. What do you think about this scene? This supernatural, divine moment that shakes any sense of normality. What do you think about it? Or maybe, let me ask you this question. Do you believe that it happened? We find ourselves in a world that is defined by what Charles Taylor calls disenchantment. Thanks to the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution, and now the age of Alexa and Siri, we are programmed to expect that what I can see, touch, and measure is the shape of this world. There's little room for mystery, for questioning, for longing. There's little room for the transcendent and the supernatural, the divine. Every single question that we have can simply be answered by holding up a phone and pressing a button, right? And all the while, we're constantly distracted stimulated and drawn to the immediate, the imminent, rather than the transcendent. Even for those of us who are Christians, who believe that a God was raised from the dead, we can get drawn into this disenchanted way of thinking, right? Mike Cosper, a Christian writer who wrote really honestly in a book called Recapturing the Wonder, says this, it's going to appear on the screen. I react to the suggestion of a miracle, for that matter, any thoughts about God, the spiritual, the transcendent, with skepticism and with cynicism. It is my default setting. I am programmed to expect that the world is what I can see, touch, and measure, and any thought or idea that runs against this expectation is met with resistance. The unsuspecting shepherds that night experienced a moment of wonder. A moment whenever God showed up in a, like an absolutely remarkable and mysterious way. This is the story of Advent and of Christmas. A story where time and time again, God defies expectations and we enter into wonder. God himself coming as a human. God himself dwelling in a womb. Angelic visitations, prophecies fulfilled. Advent invites us to recapture our sense of wonder. Let me ask you again. What do you think about this scene? How do you react whenever you bump up against the miraculous or the supernatural? Listen, um, this book is full of nuance. I'm not talking about um, some naive literalism. Um, If you want to have that conversation with me, I would actually love to have that conversation with you sometime. I'm a bit nerdy like that anyway. However, the belief in... And not in the tangible reality, not just the idea of the miraculous birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and future advent of Jesus is a foundation piece for what it means to be a Christian. And if those realities are true, if you believe them to be true, let me say it again if you are a Christian, that means that you must believe that we live in a world that is charged with wonder, with the miraculous with the supernatural, and with the divine, that actually we live in a world that is wonderful. Dallas Willard said these words to his apprentice, Pastor John Ortberg, before Dallas passed away. He said this, The most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's what you become. And then he said this line that John Ortberg instantly reacted against, full of skepticism and cynicism that's what you're going to take into eternity. He says this, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. If you're a Christian, that is who you are. That statement is mysterious and it is full of wonder. Do you believe it to be true? The danger of our age is that we settle for the surface level, what we can see, measure, and touch. But what if the truth of this world isn't something that we can see, touch, or measure? What if there's something happening beneath the surface, the kingdom coming and bursting out of the ground? What if there is miraculous stuff happening around us? We need to become so much more aware that even us as Christians live in a disenchanted world that actually we're being programmed to live in this particular way. And whenever the world is predictable, it is rational, it is measurable, and it is robotic, it robs us of joy. We need to recapture our sense of wonder and see that resurrection happens, that people can be healed, that lives can be turned around, that prayers can be answered, that God can show up, that the heavenlies can rip open, that God can dwell in a womb, and a man can raise from the dead. The transcendent, the miraculous is alive, and it is around us. We need to go after it. We need to pursue it. And that is exactly what the shepherds do. Verse 15, if you want to flick there says this, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the, God, which the Lord has told us about. I love this attitude of the shepherds. They saw the glory of the Lord shine around them. They heard this great news of joy, but that wasn't enough. There was this restlessness in them, this longing not just to hear the good news, but actually to go and see it for themselves, to encounter the source of joy. And so, and so they just ran. As they ran, they refused to let this good news just remain as an idea. They ran towards an encounter. And shepherds show us the way of joy, not just allowing Jesus to remain as an idea or good news that we once heard about, but actually they, full of desire, ran to encounter Jesus. And that fills them with joy. There's a temptation that we as Christians feel all of the time. It's the temptation to play it really, really safe. And it's to allow Jesus and the way of his kingdom just to remain up here. Locked as thinking, as religion, as theology, as statements of belief. Now, I'm one of the biggest advocates for thinking rightly and thinking deeply about Jesus, but that is not the source of my joy. My joy doesn't come from a head-based faith. doesn't come from knowledge. My joy comes from communion. My joy comes from seeing Jesus as my constant companion on the road, as my elder brother, as my co-heir, seeing Jesus as the king over my life, as the source of my joy, as an unending presence that I'm able to experience. Joy is found in encounter, experiencing his presence. So... What does it look like for you to experience the presence of Jesus? How do you do that best? Is it in times like this, whenever we're worshiping, whenever we're being together? Is it time around your home, whenever you're getting around your table with friends? Is it whenever you're by yourself engaging with the scriptures? Is it whenever you're out in creation taking it all in? How do you experience the presence of Jesus best? How do you do that? Just take a moment to think about it. The question I want to leave with you is, what if in this season, actually you prioritized that way of life? You went after it, you made time for it, you booked it into your diary, you made space for it in your everyday lives. Some of you may be thinking, that sounds great, but it sounds a bit selfish, right? The reality is, is as the shepherds were able to prioritize their encounter with Jesus for themselves, then they left and they went and told everybody about him. There was nothing selfish about their encounter. They went and pursued him so they could go and tell everybody about him. As you pursue Jesus, encountering him in the best way that you know how, you're then able to go and be able to share his presence with other people. So, we need to step into joy and to do that, we need to recapture our sense of wonder. We need to keep encountering the source of our joy. But we also need to do a third thing, and that is cultivate delight. In verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. The walk back must have been a lot of fun, right? They were glorifying and they were praising God, just like the angels were doing a few hours earlier. There was a celebration in the skies, and now there was a celebration on the road. And one of the best ways for us to experience joy is through celebration, through partying, through feasting. For through celebration, we can cultivate joy in our lives. I love Christmas traditions. Our family has these quirky little Christmas traditions, and I'm sure your family has the same. Each one of us has our own little quirks about Christmas. Yet there's a danger as we approach Christmas time in nine days' time, which is that these traditions can become routine, that traditions can become traditional, legalistic, ritualistic, that Christmas will just be going through the motions just like last year and the year before and the year before that. What if this year, Christmas 2018, instead of just going through the motions, doing what we've always done, we prioritized celebration. We allow delight to be cultivated in our lives. There's two practices that I think help allow us to be able to cultivate delight into our lives. Gratitude and feasting. Gratitude, firstly. You're going to be doing some of this in the emails this week if you're um, using those because gratitude creates the conditions in our hearts for celebrations. It's one of the things that Americans get right. Thanksgiving first, Christmas, then comes later. What would it look like for you, whether it's personally by yourself or with your family, round your Christmas dinner table, or at parties that you're going to be engaging in, what would it look like for you to carve out moments of gratitude? Things that you're thankful for. Telling people that you're thankful for them. What would it look like for you to cut through the routine of the sprouts and the ham and the turkey and all of that, and actually look to your children, or your parents, or your grandparents, or your friends, or the weird uncle that you've got, and say, I'm I'm so grateful for you. Your marriage for 60 years is one of the most inspirational things that I've ever been able to witness. Thank you for raising me to live this way of life. Thank you for providing. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for all the times that you stood and watched me play sport. Thank you for living in this particular kind of way. Thank you for modeling out what it looks like to be a good friend, to be a good father, to be a good mother, to be a good sister, brother, or whatever. What would it look like for us to break with Christmas tradition, allowing the spirit of joy to cut through in power and in presence and allow people to experience that? What would that do around our dinner tables this Christmas? What would that do in our homes? What would that do in our relationships? What would that do in our families, even though at times they may be fractured and fragile? What would that look like if we were able to cultivate that way of life? Christmas so often can be about getting the conditions right so that we can be happy, right? Get everything perfect, get everything sorted so that we're just able to do it. And it's always based on the way that things have been done. But what if we broke through that this year And allow gratitude to take its place around our dinner tables. The second practice is feasting. You have permission to throw great parties. Which is great news to be able to mark moments, to be able to celebrate, to be able to make speeches, to be able to cheers people, to be able to pray things over people, to be able to dance and to be able to celebrate and to be able to party. Choose this Christmas and the parties and the celebrations that you're going to engage with, not just as another event to show up to, but actually a moment whenever you can intentionally practice the way of joy. This Advent, we have the opportunity to recapture wonder, to encounter Jesus, and to cultivate delight through celebration. And as we do these three things, we are able to live into the way of joy. Now, here's the thing. The best example for living in that way of life is our children. Whenever it comes to living with knowing Jesus as a person, not just an idea, living with an openness to celebration, living wide-eyed to wonder. We need to follow our children. We think that like we get it in here. Actually, they really get it next door. We think that we've got it because we're adults, but actually our children are the best leaders in this. We need to hear the words of Jesus once again, who in Matthew 18 was asked the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he beckons a child over to him, and he says this, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There are two default settings that we think that we need to engage in for living as adults, control and complexity. Now, uh, listen to these words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The lack of mystery in our modern life is our downfall and our poverty. A human life is worth as much as the respect it holds for the mystery. We retain the child in us to the extent that we honor the mystery. Children have wide open, wide awake eyes because they know that they're surrounded by the mystery. That is Christmas time, Right? They're not yet finished with this world. They still don't know how to struggle along and avoid the mystery as we do as adults. We destroy the mystery. Because we sense, it, we, we sense that here we reach the boundary of our being, because we want to be Lord over everything, have it all at our disposal, have everything locked down, under control in the pursuit of happiness. And that's just that we cannot do with a mystery. Living without mystery means knowing nothing of the mystery of our world oh, — sorry, of our life, nothing of the mystery of another person, nothing of the mystery of this world. It remains on the surface. Taking the world seriously only to the extent that it can be calculated and exploited. Talk about adulthood, right? We think that we get it, but actually our children are the ones that we need to follow. There's also complexity. We feel as if that life with Jesus has to become more complex as we grow up. Our thinking, our understanding, the things that we're wrestling with, our statements of belief or whatever... Brennan Manning has this wonderful line that says, Childlike surrender and trust is the authentic spirit of discipleship. If you ever meet older, wiser people, you'll notice their simplicity in their outlook in life. It's like a Benjamin Button thing going on. They've been able to see that actually life can be simple on the other side of complexity. They've taken the words of Jesus literally... followed children now I'm not saying that we need to all become like Buddy the Elf and sing Baby Shark to yourself all day long right I'm not saying that apologies for any parent who's just got Baby Shark out of their heads or out of their cars or out of their homes and I've wrecked that on you I'm sorry but we're really good at going after happiness aren't we Creating the right conditions, setting everything right so that then we will be happy. We feel this constant, unending pursuit to try and be happy. But our children across the way, they get wonder. They have their eyes wide open to it. They live with a sense of joy, with a sense of expectation that Jesus actually is real and alive, that we can follow his way, that we can experience him, that we can talk to him, we can listen to him, we can follow him in what he is doing. They love celebration. Our children are captivated by wonder. They pursue encounter all of the time, and they cultivate delight. What if this Advent we decided to follow our children? not thinking that we've got it all sorted because we're older and adults, right? But actually take the words of Jesus really, really seriously. What about this Advent we follow our children, become more like them, and in doing so become great in the kingdom of God? This Advent, may we move beyond the never-ending pursuit of happiness and may we experience deep, robust, unspeakable joy. Let's stand together, shall we? Do you guys want to come on up? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to create some space for us all to open ourselves up to wonder once again, to intentionally encounter the source of our joy and to celebrate, to delight in Jesus. We're not just going to talk about this a little bit more. We're actually going to practice joy. We're going to choose to live in that way. And the best way that we can do that in this space is by singing and singing with celebration. But... We're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to invite our children to come and join us as we do this. We're going to allow our children to lead us this morning. So if you're a parent of anybody in big party or little party, can I get you to go now and sign them out just as you normally would? Um, and then we're going to bring them in and we're all going to worship together. So if you just want to head there, just sign them out as normal. Um, that would be great. So we're going to worship we're going to sing, we're going to practice, we're going to choose joy, we're going to live in this way of life. Can I encourage you to let yourself go a little bit, to experience the sense of joy bubbling up within you? To be able to live in this way, even though you may not feel like you're up for it, can I encourage you to do it? Just to go for it, to jump around, to be able to celebrate, to sing a little bit louder, raise your hands a little bit higher, to laugh a little bit more with each other, to be able to look at the children around us and see how they worship and follow their way of doing it. Can I also just say this for some of you who find yourselves in seasons that are hard, that you find yourselves in places of winter, don't feel the need to be overly expressive. Don't feel any pressure to be anything other than where you find yourself. This may feel a little bit difficult, but can I encourage you as you gently choose joy and step into this place of worship, I do believe that the Spirit of God will want to birth joy within you. So... As our children begin to come in, can I encourage you to celebrate and to worship the King this morning, to raise your voice, to encounter the source of our joy and of our wonder, Jesus Emmanuel, the Ancient of Days, who was found wrapped in cloth. Lying in a manger, the one who left the throne to dwell amongst us, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, the king of the kingdom that we find ourselves in, our saviour, the one who is alive, the one who is seated on the throne, the one who in Psalm 30 says, you have turned my wailing into dancing, you have removed the sackcloth that I was wearing and you have clothed me with joy that my heart will sing your praises and not be silent. My God, I'm going to praise you forever. Jesus is our wonder. Jesus is our joy. He is our delight. So come on, let's adore him together this morning. Let's worship the King.